It's as easy as jumping out of a plane. It's the Your Life Lived Well podcast with Dr. Kevin Payne. I know grief. It's really hard to get a few decades through this life without knowing grief. I'm pretty sure that you know grief also. And if your life is touched by chronic illness, grief is an almost inevitable experience. The grief, mourning, bereavement process is the process of how we respond to loss or an impending loss that is personally important. So we tend to think of grief as a response we have to death and dying. So someone around you that you care about dies and you grieve. Uh, You get a really bad diagnosis and you understand that, that there's now a ticking clock on your life and you grieve that impending loss. The important thing about grief, what triggers that grief process, is just loss. Loss of any kind. And in this episode, we're going to unpack some of what's happening when we grieve. You've probably learned that grief comes in stages. And all of us, you know, it's one of those things that even if you've never heard much psychology, um, most people have heard about the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, right? This comes from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's research in the 60s. Uh, She was a psychiatrist uh, who originally studied terminally ill patients coming to terms with their own mortality at the University of Chicago's medical school. And she was a psychiatrist, and in 1969, she published a book called On Death and Dying. The famous thing about that book was that grief is a staged process. Many of you can probably tell me what these are. I mean, it's, it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And so sometimes it's called the DABDA model. And that's the way that we, we have in our culture come to popularly process grief. The only problem is it's wrong. Because she intended, when she was doing this research, and, and toward the end of her life, she died in, I think it was like 2004 or so, um, toward the end of her life, she regretted some of the ways that her research had been interpreted. Uh, and... Uh, People had taken this stage process as prescriptive. So this is how you should experience grief. And so a lot of people, when they don't experience in that way, which is most of us, feel guilty that they're not grieving in the right process. Okay? You know, and as an aside, too, there there are many other models. This one has just become the most popular one. And while grieving is a process, it doesn't come in stages. So let's look at her stages for a second here just to kind of understand what, what she saw going on. So let's look at that first stage, denial. All right, so 
that that first response, according to this Kubler-Ross model, is that we are going to be so shocked that we refuse to accept this loss or this impending loss. That's certainly sometimes the case, and we'll, we'll talk about how denial is is one specific possibility at this particular stage. But there's no doubt that when we've got a big change in our life that we're presented with, or that we know is inevitably coming down the pike at us, there is an adjustment, and and we don't necessarily want to accept it, and that's one of the challenges that we're facing when we're grieving. The second stage in her model is anger, and that's when people are asking questions like, oh, why me? Or they're saying things like, oh, this isn't fair, and uh, they're trying to blame some something for, you know, it may be that they're, they're blaming their past behaviors or somebody who did something or God, it doesn't matter. They're, they're trying to cast blame. And at this point, it's just a lot of that's trying to get out because we're really frustrated and, and we're angry. A lot of plans that we had have now been thrown out the window. And we don't like having to adjust, especially if it's to something that's big and negative. The third stage in our model is bargaining. And that's the, oh, I'll be good, right? It's, it's when in your mind you're going through these what-if trades. Uh, we're trying to, to find, even though you know, cognitively we know that this is futile, uh, we're, we're trying to find some way to avoid having to deal with, with this great big loss. Stage four, then, in her model is depression. And, and that's when we are completely overwhelmed with the emotional enormity of it, and we're numb, and we're feeling disconnected and disengaged, and uh, our attitude is often, why bother? Right? This is, this is something that, that I just... It, it's so awful that what's the point of going on? And then the fifth stage in, in her model is acceptance. And this is where finally we've wrapped our brains around this new reality. And it's not necessarily that we're approving of it or we like it, but we are at this point willing to acknowledge that this is reality and that this is something that we're going to have to account for. The only problem with this is, I mean, this tells a nice, neat story, right? This, is, this, this appeals to our narrative sense of, of how things should work. But from my experience, and I'm, I'll bet from your experience, it's not that neat. It's not that orderly. It doesn't follow that kind of narrative path in that same way. So 
while this process often begins with some form of shock because it is a, a radical change in our reality and it often moves to some form of acknowledgement, acceptance, accommodation, something like that. Um, it doesn't necessarily, and it certainly doesn't follow a neat pattern. It also nearly as frequently begins with an acknowledgement or an acceptance of the loss. And for a lot of us, it's that cognitive shift that is happening first. And then it's like, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with this? One of the challenges that we're facing here is that there are cognitive, emotional, behavioral, practical, and biophysical dimensions to this. It's affecting our bodies, our minds, our relationships, our environment, how we spend our time. And this path can be winding and erratic and surprising and it can fold back in on itself and and you seem to to replay and ruminate on the same emotions and what-ifs multiple times and you think you've gotten beyond that but you haven't and and it is not necessarily ever resolved grief often leaves an indelible imprint on our lives and ourselves. We're simply just not the same person afterward. As we're heading into this first break, I want you to notice something about this. I want you to notice that grief, trauma, pain, fright, stress, all appear really similar to one another. And there's a reason why that. They're related through something called the acute stress response. And that is a, a complex of somatic or biophysical and behavioral and emotional and cognitive responses we have to being challenged. Okay? We actually, as humans, have a really limited tool set for dealing with changes or challenges. Grief is different for everyone. The same person can grieve each loss differently. And there's absolutely no reason why life could or should have prepared us for a particular loss. This is a new thing. And I'll see you on the other side of the break. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at justjump.life. And we're back dealing with our grief. In this segment, I want us to look at some of the challenges we're facing. And, and I want to give you a few ideas to help you understand what's really happening here. Okay, so the first one is that grief 
is often a big negative in your life, but not always. It is, however, always a change, and it's that change that's the important factor here. So, when we have a change in our life, even if we're gaining something, we're losing something else. Because we only have so much life to go around and we can't fit everything in. So, so grief is happening because there is a loss. And that loss is a hole in our lives. It's a hole, and we don't like holes. Holes are terrifying. Holes are terrifying to humans because holes have nothing in them, and they're empty, and there's this unknown that's associated with a hole. And, and it disrupts the patterns that we like seeing in our lives. We all have patterns. Humans are active, adaptive, meaning makers. We see patterns. We are so good at seeing patterns, we see them where none exist. And <laughs> we just are. When we lose something, we've got a ginormous hole in our life. The second thing that I want you to understand about the challenges of grief is that you've lost something that was a part of your identity and your story. One of the things that makes us human unique among all other animals that we know of so far, and maybe the only thing that's unique, is that humans are storytellers. We impose story on our lives. That's how we make sense of it. That's how we see cause and effect. And the most important story that we tell is our identity. Your identity is the story you tell yourself about yourself. And now suddenly, something that was important in your story, a person, maybe your own health, maybe losing a job, you know, whatever it is, something that was important to your identity story is now gone. So we're over here trying to make meaning and find patterns and tell stories, and suddenly an important part of that is just ripped out of our hands. And we have no agency in that. We have no control in that. Somebody else came in and rewrote part of your story. That really sucks. <laughs> we hate that. You've had all the anticipation and all the possibility that whatever it was, whoever it was that you lost contributed to your story. All of that was just ripped away. You are likely then to feel lost 
disconnected, disoriented. And humans really don't like to feel lost and disconnected and disoriented. The reason why you feel that way when you are socially or conceptually or culturally lost and disconnected is the same reason why you feel that way when you are physically lost and disconnected. We actually use the same part of our brain to process that. And lost meant death to our ancestors. You got suddenly lost out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, we're naked apes and, and we don't necessarily do well on our own, despite what some people, you know, claim with being a, a self-actualized, pull-myself-up-on-my-bootstraps kind of <coughs> grunting fellow. Um, we don't. We, we are not an island to paraphrase John Dunn. So, even when we have positive life changes, it can still elicit a grief. So you can be a kid who's, who's uh, now leaving home, going off to the college that you want to do, and you're taking that next step in your life, and you can still grieve what you're losing out of that. You could be embarking on a new marriage and all of the wonderful possibility that this budding family represents, and you can still grieve what you've lost because it's a trade-off. You gain something, you lose something else. So, grief is always a change. Grief is always a loss. Grief is a trauma. Because, what is a trauma? You ever really think about it? Let's, let's go back to a physical trauma for a second. When you are suddenly injured, your body is met with a force that it cannot counteract, right? And, and that does tissue damage. You are bruised, you are broken, we're ripped. I mean, you know, that's, that's a trauma. It is, it is a physical force that demands more than you can, than you have the capacity to deliver to stop it, right? So you are injured in that process. That's grief. You are, that's all kinds of trauma. You are met with an emotional or cognitive or social force that you can't counter. You are overwhelmed in that moment. And again, we use the same parts of our brain to process those other kinds of trauma as we do processing physical trauma. Nature likes to readapt systems that are already there. So our grief is trauma. Grief isn't rational. Grief is pre-rational. This is we're we're dealing with 
older systems in our brain that, that were there long before we became rational. Okay? So grief doesn't necessarily make sense. And you can't force grief to make sense. Because you've got these, you know, sometimes they're referred to as the ancient lizard brain and the limbic system and, you know, these first couple of levels of, of the brain, if you want to look at it that way, which is conceptually useful but, but wrong in the science of it. Um, but, you know, it's a good way to think about it. That fundamentally doesn't see the world in reason and evidence. It is just not rational. Don't expect good portions of your grief to be rational. They're pre-rational. I don't even like to say irrational. They're non-rational, right? They just have their own different logic that is not the logic of rationality. So, like everything else, we must learn to grieve. And a lot of people find that really frustrating. They think, you know, I, I, I'm human. I, 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 I should have just come with this, you know, but I should have just come with this innate knowledge of how to be human. But no, you, you've got to learn how to do this. And, and life may not have prepared you. And you may have grown up around people who, bless their hearts, do a really sucky job at grieving or handling trauma. Or, or these sorts of things. And we know this is the case. So, cut yourself some slack. Allow yourself to learn. And, and part of that means, you know, when we're going through these really icky internal processes, these really negative processes like grief, sometimes we don't want to look too closely. We're, we're afraid of what we're going to see. So right here, right now, I'm going to give you permission to look closely and to be okay with what it is you see. Because a lot of what's in there is going to be ugly and is not going to meet our own personal expectations. Get over it. We're human. And, and part of that means that when our inner cave child is completely distraught, we need to just wrap it in a hug. And we need to be able to do that for ourselves. You're willing to do that for other people that you love. Love yourself enough to do that for yourself. I'll let you think about that while we uh, take a next break. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at justjump.life. 
So we're deep down in our grief and our loss here, and I know it's kind of a downer, but let's let's put a different spin on this, and and let's. So there are all the kinds of things that we can grieve. We can grieve the loss of life. We can grieve the loss of our roles, as when. We separate from a job or from, you know, a partnership or, or something like that. S- we can grieve the loss of our social connections, not just our roles, but our connections to other people. We can grieve the loss of our anticipated future. We can grieve the loss of our sense of safety. This is actually a big one. You know, you get a, you lose a job and you don't just lose that role and those social connections and that thing you do with your time, but you lose financial stability. And in many of these cases, we're also grieving our loss of autonomy or control. Because, really, your grief is about you. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. It is selfish. And we don't like this word selfish, but I mean it in the sense of it is selfish because it is of the self. Okay? You have no choice but to approach the world from yourself, from your identity. That is the filter of all of your experience. And it's okay. Now, we make space for other people within ourselves, within our identities, within what we do with our lives, but it still comes down to you for you. Your life is about you. Other people's lives are about them. And sometimes I do stuff with you because I like that or I provide, you know, or you provide a benefit or I think what you're doing is meaningful and, you know, all those things, right, for lots of other reasons. But fundamentally, it's about the rewards you provide to me, okay? And, and, and that's not bad. Your grief falls in that same bucket. You are grieving because your identity has been ripped traumatically. There's a big hole, and you didn't have any control in that. It's a different way to think about grief. But, but fundamentally, that is what you, that is the injury that you have to come to grips with. So you are readjusting cognitively, emotionally, behaviorally, physically, all of these things. And it's not going to happen in stages. It's not going to be a neat process. These emotions will happen together. They will happen in waves They will happen at surprising and unwelcome times. They will happen in cycles. They will happen out of the blue. And sometimes you will forget. And the flow of the rest of your life will kind of carry you along. And then suddenly you will obsessively remember again. And this is all part of it. And, and grief isn't going to be this separate little period where you get to step out of the flow of your life into your little grief space 
and then get it all worked out and resolved and then step back into life. Grief is not going to happen in a vacuum. The rest of your life is still moving on. Other people's lives are still moving on despite that loss. And don't think this is me being cold or callous or anything like that. I mean, there, you know, there have been times in my life where I've just had to stop and grieve. And maybe other people thought that I was grieving too long even. Who cares? Screw them. It's not their grief. It's your grief. But you still have to acknowledge that other people can't hold up their life for your grief. And eventually, you need to get to the point where your grief is light enough that you can carry it along with you. Notice I didn't say over it. I didn't say anything like that. I said your grief is light enough that you can carry it along with you. You know, we only have three mental tricks that we use to try to make these negatives, grief, anxiety, depression, fear, pain, etc., all these things. We only have three techniques that we use to make these palatable. The first thing is distance. Cognitively, emotionally, physically, we get closer or further, and, and we, we navigate that distance in, in our minds, in our experience. And we also use vertical distance as well sometimes. Bring yourself up higher to a, to a, a broader, more lofty perspective or down deep in the weeds where you maybe can't see it in the details, right? So, so we, we use distance and, and we, we manipulate that distance mentally and emotionally. We manipulate our perspective by the direction of what we're looking at, where we're putting our attention, right? On the tightness of focus or resolution, right? On maybe putting up a barrier between that negative bad thing and, and what you're trying to pay attention to. You've put up maybe it's denial or fantasy or, you know, whatever it is. But we manipulate our perspectives, and we manipulate what, what we could call the attached affect. Okay, so affect is one of those terms that we use in the social and behavioral sciences for the value or the emotion that we attach to things. Because the world just is. The world just is. But because we're seeing the world through our perspective, our identity, we're attaching values to all sorts of things. You don't just see a person. You see the emotions that you attach to that person. You don't just see an object, you know. You, you see food that you like or you want to avoid or a movie that you want to see or you don't or a, a cause that you think is worthy or not, etc. All these things, they have values. And, and so... We 
when we are playing with that attached affect to the thing that we've lost, okay? We've got the valence and the magnitude, right? We've got the direction. Is it positive or negative how we feel about it? Is it, uh, you know, a large feeling or a small feeling? And you know this over time. Maybe you've gotten out of a relationship that you really liked, but for some reason it didn't work out. And, and you may find yourself over time diminishing how much that relationship meant to you. Because this is one way that we have of dealing with grief, dealing with that loss, okay? So these are the only three mental tricks that we have. That's it. Everything else, everything you've ever heard of about any kind of coping mechanism, any kind of defense mechanism, any of those things can all be represented this way. This is it. This is all we have. So... When we first are presented with that loss, in Kubler-Ross's parlance, that's that denial phase, really what that is is potential shock. Okay? It's, it's shock and disbelief, and these are natural reactions to major forced cognitive and practical realignments. We're like, oh, dude, I can't believe this. Because you don't want to make that change. You don't want to repair that hole in your life, in your identity. But this is not necessarily a bad thing because a little denial, a little, 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 helps us ease into a traumatic loss, right? It gives us time to parse and to, and to spread out that overwhelming onslaught of emotion. However, eventually we must face the radically changed world. But it's okay at the beginning to feel that disbelief. And that is exactly the freeze stage, you know, you've heard of the fight-or-flight response, right? That's the same thing. So since grief is an expression of an injury to our identities, we've got to rebuild our stories to support our pain and our grief and, and all of that and to accommodate growth and rebuilding. And that takes time. You know, in the aftermath of loss, it takes time to rewrite our stories for the future. Because for you, it is about you. And that's okay. You've got to figure out a way to rewrite your story. So I'll let you think about uh, how you want to rewrite your story here, and we'll be back in a moment. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. 
Take your first step at justjump.life. So far in this episode, we've looked at how the the standard model of grief that most of us have, have internalized uh, is really pretty inadequate for our uses. And, and we've looked at some better ways of thinking about grief and, and how to process it. And we've been thinking about how to reprocess our own stories as uh, we're going through this grief process. And, and that's the first thing I want us to take away. You need to realize that grief is a natural response to a traumatic loss. And just as bodies take time to heal, so do hearts, minds, social networks, all that. And that's one of my, uh, okay, here's a slight div- digression, and uh, but it, it really is relevant because it's one of my pet peeves. And that is, when we think about mental illness, people will say that a, a grief has become pathological, right? And, and so it gets kind of... Uh, captured under that rubric of mental illness. Well, implicitly, when we think of mental illness, most of the time we think about the metaphor of disease. Okay, so a mental illness is like a natural, you know, like a bodily disease, but of the mind. And for some that's that's a that's a correct way to think about it but for far more of the common things that we deal with many cases of depression and anxiety and and you know things that are responses that are often associated with grief disease is not the right metaphor injury is the right metaphor you just need to take the time to allow your body, mind, identity, relationships to heal. And just like to heal a wound, a physical wound, there are certain things you need to do. You need to go easy on that part for a while. Well, you need to do those same things as well when you're dealing with grief. Just as bodies take time to heal, so do our hearts and minds and our social networks and our identities in the wake of a traumatic loss that we're grieving. Second thing that that you need to take away from this is that you get to make your own path. This is your grief. There is no right way to grieve. You know, there, there are, are more or less healthy and, and useful ways to grieve, and you may decide you want help with your grieving, and that's totally cool, and you need to do that. But there is no right way to grieve. So, so don't look at this as prescribed, and don't look at it as, oh my gosh, I'm not grieving in the right way. No. You're grieving in your way. Ultimately, the only way to get past grief is through it. You can't go around it. You just can't. 
You've got to go through it. But we don't have to take it on all at once. We can spread it out. We can deal with part of the grief. Then we can allow ourselves to be distracted with life for a bit. And then we can come back and deal with another part of the grief. And that's okay. There's, a, there's no timeline. You know, it's fascinating. People will, you, you ask, if you, if you survey people, and this has been done, um, people will tell you how long they think an appropriate time to grieve is. And they're wildly all over the place. Some people will say just a few weeks. Some people will say months. Most people are somewhere in the months range. Some people will say years. Uh, and, and there is no consensus. And the reason why is because there shouldn't be a consensus. Because that's part of your path. And you get to choose that. So there is no timeline. This is going to sound really trite, but grief is an opportunity to grow through trauma. Okay? I don't recommend trauma as a way to grow. Okay? I really don't. However, sometimes we can't avoid the traumas that life put on us. And and when life puts those traumas in our way and there's nothing we can do about it, then we do have the opportunity to express choice and agency and figure out the best way through it. And, and, and it is true that growth happens through challenge. I'm just not recommending so much challenge that is traumatic. Growth is often difficult to process, but looking back, it can become something that we were grateful to have gone through. Because part of this is you don't grieve unless you loved something immensely. And grief, in maybe a twisted way, is the last gift of the love that we experienced. What you are doing when you are doing it in the grief process is only a problem if it gets in the way of the life you want to be living or the life, you know, that, that you have agreed to share with others, right? And, and so I encourage you to, if you think you are having difficulty on your own, Seek the appropriate professional help with this process. It's a good thing, right? So, when you're handling grief, one, remember, grief is earned. You earned this grief. It was an important part of your life. It's gone now. And wow, that sucks beyond the telling of it. It is awful. But please be grateful for having had it and honor its memory. And, and trust me, I know that sounds really trite, but do that. 
Second thing, I will remind you again, there is no timeline. None. It's your schedule. Three, as you're going through this process, think about how to carry on what you valued from that person, from that experience, from that expectation, you know, whatever it was, you know. What, what is it that you can carry forward? Or, if you are in the position where you are grieving your own impending loss, what do you want to help others carry on from you? These are really important connections here. So don't just let it be something that you loved or enjoyed or was a crucial part of your life at one time and now you've lost. Think about what made that so valuable and find ways to carry it forward. Fourth thing, whatever it is that you've lost, these, I mean, this is really crucial, important stuff in your life. Welcome them back into your memory when they come through. But don't hold on to them. Don't fixate on it. Don't ruminate on it. Your mind has weather. And this was an important part of your identity, your formation, your experience. Those memories are going to come back. And they will be painful. But they should also be joyful in the ways that made that such a valuable, worthwhile connection. And five, know when to get support. I'm going to emphasize this again one more time. When the grief gets in the way of living, it's time. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're not weak. You're nothing. Because nobody trained us for this. So, I know I say this a lot, but be kinder to yourself, especially if you don't think you deserve it. And that's something that, that we didn't get a chance to get to in this episode, but we may in a future one. There's a lot of guilt that can come with grief as well. But we have got to learn to treat ourselves as someone we truly love. So I wish you well in learning your grief and in living your new life as you keep moving forward. Go forth, be well, do well, and do good. If you've enjoyed today's topic and want to join the conversation with Dr. Kevin Payne, find Your Life Lived Well on all of your favorite social media sites, Patreon, and of course, yourlifelivedwell.co.